afternoon. afternoon. <laughs> Welcome to Why Is This a Thing? <laughs> Happy uh, International Kill Your Co-host Day. That's what today and, is. And uh, eat his brains. I uh, good call. Good good uh, good reference there. Thanks. Uh, welcome to Why Is This a Thing? Um, rest in peace, Ray Liotta. <laughs> and what do you know? I, I love this. Why does this always happen where we do a podcast that is apropos of someone dying? <laughs> it's an annual tradition. Uh, well, well, it's, it's, it's annual? <laughs> I don't know how that <laughs> happens on this day every single it's year. It's not really something we plan <laughs> at all. Someone special just... dies. <laughs> yeah, we like to, to pay homage, but the, the problem is that... Uh, is it homage or homage? homage for what the way you just used it yeah okay it's we like, pay it's like progress and progress you pronounce mm. it differently depending on its tense yes pay so homage. nonsense shit. wait a minute it's an homage an, an to o- something an homage and to pay homage it's like to, to pay homage is the verb and then an homage is the noun it's kind of like affect uh, and effect oh i got you you know okay. what i mean yeah. okay okay all right so i'm but i don't know like this is a tribute, yeah. and I am paying tribute. Yeah, paying. Tribute. I didn't change it there. No, it's tribute. No. Paying tribute. Tribute. <laughs> tribute. It's tribute. If any of our listeners are etymological experts, not to be confused with entomological experts who study insects, uh, if you're an etymological expert and you know what language is to blame for English having adopted these stupid rules. Probably Dude, French. English is the worst it's, language. It's the Germans, right? It's is so it the Germans? Bad. I think it's the Germans. Yeah, so, so much of English is derived from German. And so. French and Roman and all of it, man. I mean, it's it's a mess. It's it's a it's a mutt of things for sure, but I think the most obvious ones are, are German for sure. If we found out that it was Russia to blame, would we have to cancel the English language? Yes. Wow. Yes. That'd be hard to do. You realize everybody knows English? Like would we decide to just like stop speaking it? What what would America have to do? What language like would they Walmart have say to learn? We're in in solidarity with Ukraine, we're no longer speaking. That's like taking down the, the internet, English man. Language. You can't get rid of you can't get rid of English. <laughs> it is here to stay. Those those Senegalese people that kill everyone who come to their island, they know English for Christ's sake. They do? No, they don't. <laughs> I was gonna say that'd be odd. It'd be a little weird if we showed up there and they're just on iPods. <laughs> Like they just have a just a ton of iPod shuffles. Get off my lawn. <laughs> they're just really into like Smash Mouth. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> it's like they're that's like what we consider to be ancient in human evolution. <laughs> they're just stuck in 2002. <laughs> These savages living living with primitive technology. They're watching Spider Man on repeat. No, they have like yeah, they it's have just, like it, it's just Spider-Man and Shrek. Those are the best <laughs> movies they've ever seen. It's the only movies that have ever been made, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> They're still on Friendster. It's like really, we're not that much. We're not that much different, you and I. Uh, rest in peace, Ray Liotta. He died last week, uh, and we decided to pick a movie that is not really a Ray Liotta vehicle at all. This is another recurring pattern we have on this show: is we will pay homage with a movie that the person is not known for but i think most cleanly fits into our definition of movie 
kind of well the the interesting thing about what you just said is, is that you know every movie especially every Ridley Scott film has the scene and Ray Liotta is heavily tied to the scene in right. this movie and that's why we, we went with that. <laughs> heavily tied is a bit of an understatement <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to the guy <laughs> He is the yeah the centerpiece of the chest burster scene of this movie. Exactly. I guess the brain burster scene, as it were. <laughs> brain blast, like Jimmy Neutron. Yeah, yeah, something like that. That's that's what that made me think of. So we're yeah we're talking Hannibal today, but first, um, Nick, you wanted to talk about the Norm Macdonald thing. I think we kind of have to, right? I mean, this is gonna be a really sad episode for us. This is a lot of death, right? A lot of a lot of homage. Yeah. <laughs> A <laughs> whole lot of homage today. <laughs> homage fact. It's not so sad uh, for me. I didn't watch the thing. Yeah, so please back away from the mic. Can I turn off his mic for this? You can't. I'm just turning off the mic. It's going to cause more technical difficulties. Just turn it wow. off the mic. Yeah. I can't even. Just turn it off. Nick, let's have it. Let's have I love how you can just hear him in the distance. Like he's on the other end of the hallway. Guys, are you there? <laughs> let's have a chit chat about, <laughs> about Norm. <laughs> Um, turn his mic on. It's fine. Yeah, he'll behave. He'll behave. <laughs> so you, um, you, this thing came out on Memorial Day, which I, it did. I, I, I coined in our group chat med Normial day. <laughs> it was a big day for us. Uh, apparently Norm McDonald had a secret standup special that no one knew about, uh, except for his, uh, best friend, Lori Joe, uh, who helped him film it. And that was it. Um, and I guess we just found out a couple weeks ago, Netflix had purchased the rights to this, uh, comedy special that he filmed at his house by himself, I guess filmed by, was that an iPad that was draped over his computer? That that's what it seemed like was filming him. I I thought it might've even just been like just a webcam or yeah, he, I mean, it's just a guy in a chair at his computer right for an hour straight telling jokes. Um, so this dropped on Monday and uh, Netflix, I guess, as part of their uh, Netflix is a joke comedy festival celebration, uh, put together a panel of Norm fans and friends uh, and just like comedy scholars. And at the end of this, they sort of reflected on what they just watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which now on a on a just a, a minor tangent here. Uh, we've talked a lot in recent weeks about how Netflix is just crap now for the most part. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> but I actually do want to point out that Netflix is basically the only place to go to watch stand-up anymore. It is, yes. It's it true. has sort of positioned itself as the home and arbiter of good and bad stand-up, for better or Which worse, I would say. Every, every stand-up special is now, it comes out on Netflix, and mm-hmm. the new that show, not that new, but that show, The Stand-Ups, is on there, which I watched and actually really enjoyed. Um... And they, Comedy they, Central just doesn't do it anymore. They just put up a, a, a special called The Hall, I think it's called. Not about Adam, but about the Comedy <laughs> Hall of Fame. Um, I'm sorry, that name is taken for when you pitch uh, your, uh, your your half-hour multicam. Um, my biography? <laughs> my half-hour biography? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was essentially like a bunch of comedians inducting... Richard Pryor and George Carlin and Robert Williams into the Comedy Hall of Fame. So, yeah, they've sort of positioned themselves. And also, you look at some of the comments they made in the wake of the Dave Chappelle controversy. They have positioned themselves as the mecca and arbiter of stand-up. Like, we're not going to... We're not going to censor anybody. 
Yeah. If well, they, I mean, if, we're, if, yeah. And also we're going to decide who gets to do the specials, too. Right. We're going to green right. light it. And, and, and we're not taking we're not backtracking like this is the the oasis, the magical oasis where where comedians can go and play. Um, and yeah. And critics be damned. So, yeah, I think like it's, it's sort of a double edged sword. But I would say in the case of the Norm special, I'm very glad that they've positioned themselves this way and clearly value stand up as much as they do, because this is an interesting artifact that just would not have existed 20 years ago. You know? Right. I think the first and foremost most important thing to say about this is that it's not a comedy special in any traditional sense. And uh, it was uh, one of the guys uh, at the end said that. Who was it again? I think David Letterman said it, right? Letterman. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we should say the panel, too. It's David Letterman, Dave Chappelle, Molly Shannon, uh, Conan O'Brien, mm-hmm. David Spade, Adam Sandler. Right. We're at the end talking about Norm for like a half hour. And basically, they just put them in a room together. They all watch the Norm special. And as soon as the special ends, they cut to the six of them and just let them talk. Yeah. There's no script, no plan. They all just talk. Right. And uh, I mean, what did you? Th- OK, so watching the Norm special, like it's just bizarre because <laughs> already Norm specials are bizarre. Sure. He just his his cadence, the way he tells jokes, the the good jokes, the bombs. Yeah. It, it just all kind of like rolls out at this strange pace. Yes. <laughs> and it's only amplified with this special where there's no audience but you're watching in his eyes he is believing there's an audience in front of him so Chappelle talked about this afterwards where he said um, it it was like watching a a great jazz drummer or something and you know this idea that um, you can sort of nail timing without the audience feedback is, is not something that most comedians can do and I, I actually found it kind of an interesting experiment in that regard where um, it, Norm is filling the gaps and filling the silence with what he believes the audience would be doing. So like he he gives you like three or four seconds of silence because he imagines there would be about three or four seconds of laughter. And in the, in the jokes, it's also funny because you could tell how much some jokes he values more than others. Exactly. So yeah, he's a, he's he's playing both the comic and the audience in his head as he's doing it. So it's a, right. A, like I don't know if I can properly articulate how bizarre this thing is as an exercise. Because you're right, Nick. It's not just like a joke dump. It's not like he's just sitting there like a podcaster would do and just rattle off jokes at rapid speed. It is an hour unbroken. He doesn't take any pauses. In fact, like his dog chimes in at one point, just starts barking. He gets a phone call in the middle of it midway through. answers it. And he's like, I'm in a special. I got to call you back back. on the account of uh, doing a comedy special. And he hangs up like this. And these are all organic things that happen in there. So it's not like just a string of jokes. It is definitely meant to emulate the experience of being on stage, except there's no one in the crowd. So it's, it is a really bizarre thing. And uh, this was one of the focuses afterwards of like, what is comedy without an audience? Is it really stand up? Letterman, as you said, essentially said, this is not really stand up. It's it's something else. He but said there's something there. There's something but it's there. Not stand up. It's not stand up. And it's not quite radio it's not quite podcasting it's not quite youtube like it, it is it's a hermetically sealed version of stand-up 
I believe that if they played this on a screen, uh, or God forbid, they made a fucking hologram of Norm Macdonald and had him do this act, <laughs> right. it would play perfectly with right. the audience. Like the laughter would be just timed right. I think it would actually really just work. Um, so that was the thing weird. that I w- yeah I was kind of baffled by is just like how good the timing was and yeah you know um you hear you know some comedians talk about their process and how it'll differ from others you know like Chappelle is very open and honest about like I I couldn't do anything without an audience like I I would be absolutely up shit's creek with no paddle if if you know I I was tasked with filling an hour of silence like he feeds off of the crowd and he has like general ideas in his head and he has certain punchlines and he knows he's going to get there but he kind of like he rides the wave of the crowd and then you hear about guys like Jerry Seinfeld who say like I have every single word every single breath every single intonation planned out ahead of time and when I get on stage I know that my craft has been so perfectly honed that it's going to extract X amount of laughs out of the crowd and I think Norm is more in the Seinfeld camp and Conan was talking about it in the after show where you know uh, he says like every pronunciation or every mispronunciation or every word choice is so uh, thought over and so deliberate, you know, even when it's wrong, like no one pronounces the name McDonald MacDonald. In fact, Norm McDonald's name is not pronounced MacDonald, but he always introduces himself as I'm Norm MacDonald. And, you know, I think he compared him to Mark Twain. Conan did in that regard, where mm. it's like there's a whimsy to it. There's a goofiness well, I, to it. There's I a- think it's disarming. I actually think that's the reason. Yeah. And I don't think anybody had said that specifically, but I, I think it just disarms the audience. Yeah. Completely. Right. So but point uh, being, I found myself really contemplating like Norm's style and also like the style of stand up while watching this. Um more so than like laughing out loud. And I don't mean that to sound like a a, a backhanded compliment or anything, because it's not. Norm McDonald's my favorite comedian ever, and I've certainly spoken highly enough about him on various podcasts by now. But like I found myself just sort of sitting there being like, huh, this is cool. <laughs> Rather than going, ha ha ha, this is hilarious. There are hilarious bits in there, but it it's more of just like a, a weird document that i don't know well, exactly how to decode la- you know laughter is contagious when there's no laughter you feel weird laughing you feel yes. weird being the only guy in the room laughing if you're watching this with 10 people that might work better but sitting alone in a room it, it's not the type of thing you're gonna laugh at but it, it's kind of like um it's kind of like how uh well so norm is one of those guys similar to and i cannot remember uh stephen brody stevens where he's almost more important to comedians than he is to the broader spectrum of audiences. Not to there, say that Norm didn't sell out, you know, arenas and stuff because he did, but uh, it, it's 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 almost kind of like that. There's some directors out there who are more important to other directors than they are to general audiences. Norm is sort of that way. Sure, maybe and, the uh, best example of that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, maybe the the example of that. So, I, I mean, it really, really goes to show. I, it's like when 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 these guys show up essentially for your eulogy. When these yeah. are the six people that show up for your funeral just to talk about how much they admire you. And I think Sandler and Spade at one point, they were talking about going on tour with Norm and they were in like this group chat together. And Norm just said, I'm the best comic out of all you guys. And they're like, yeah, that's that's right. That's about well, right. I, I love I love Letterman heard that story and he right. just commented like, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, like, let's he was be like, honest yeah. about that. He's right. Yeah. 
He's a much better comedian than you fools. But Letterman chose him to be uh, the final stand-up on his show. When Letterman yeah. ended his show, he brought on Norm for the last episode, and uh, and he called him into lots of Conan too. And yeah, I, I love the people they gathered for that. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, maybe the most surprising person there to me was Chappelle. Yes, but then when Chappelle told his story about like literally almost just like one thing that Norm did for him, really, but it yeah. was like the one thing that meant everything to Chappelle <laughs> for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's it's so. I don't know. Really good special. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, the, the Chappelle thing that also stuck with me, too, is when he said um, that he felt like very comforted by mm. the by the special and that and this was something that I did not expect Dave Chappelle to say. But he said some of my favorite comedy is the comedy that comforts me. And I don't I wouldn't think of that it's so different than what he does. Exactly. Right. Like Chappelle specials, generally speaking, are challenging and probing and 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 yeah, I, uh, on a personal, a sort of personal note here, because I, I actually kind of imagine that might be the case for a lot of people. I feel like a lot of comics like a style of comedy, but their comedy isn't that. Or maybe a lot of writers or directors have that. I'm right now. I've been doing a lot of writing, yeah. um, lately, and I'm finding like a lot of the writing that I like to read and that I would like to emulate and that I would like to think this is the type of writer I am. I'm finding it's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. What I actually am creating is so much different than what I like or what I thought I'd make. So it might you hear be the that with directors all the time too. You hear that with yeah. directors all the time. It's like, you know, Gaspar No loves Back to the Future. You know, <laughs> I'm making up an example, <laughs> like, but but he's like, I can't make that kind of movie. It's, it's just like, not how did you get from there to there? You know, right, uh, right. Happens. Yeah. So that was the thing about yeah. When Chappelle said that, I'm like, huh. You know, there there are certain aspects where it's like. You know, I, I do kind of feel like I'm being wrapped up and caressed when I watch a Chappelle special in a weird way, just based on his delivery, not necessarily in terms of content, but the delivery is all it. There's a there's a poetry to it and a rhythm to it. Um, and that's how I felt during the norm thing, too. And I, I, like, again, like it's a weird sort of compliment to Levy at a stand up special. But I felt like very at peace and soothed by the whole thing and there's also a lot of sincerity in it too and it kind of made me emotional at points like when he's talking about his mom at the end it ends with one of the best punchlines in the whole special it ends with an absolute killer line (laughs) but he's talking about like how like how his mother lives without irony and everything she says is always honest and she's telling a story about like oh yeah funny story i went to the supermarket and a pound of ham used to be like 412 and now it's 469 and he's like mom that's not a story and it, like there's not really a joke in there but there's something like humorous and warm about it and then it ends with an absolute killer you know yeah without spoiling the killer obviously yeah so it just um, made me like very emotional like i was just very wrapped up by the whole thing and it almost felt like a a a, a note from beyond the grave that norm was sending me it was written like that frankly a lot of the special was very much like you could tell there was an underlying tone of like i might not be alive soon yes genuinely so this thing by the way was filmed the the night before he was scheduled to go in for a procedure uh i think it was some sort of infusion um for his cancer treatment and he was worried that it might go south and so he filmed the special the night before just to get it out there to leave nothing on the table, as he said. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ended up surviving another year after that. But then, yeah, things took a turn in uh, late 2021. So, yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird thing to talk about. I, I it almost sounds like we're muted in our praise of it. I I really do think it's a fascinating thing. Um, and I also had mixed thoughts about the the panel afterwards because I thought like this is a great opportunity to you know listen to six geniuses talk about stand up. And I'm never gonna like pass they really up that didn't opportunity. talk craft that much. Yeah. There I were do a few want- times where people were like, like especially Letterman was most interested in talking craft, I think. Yeah, and, and Conan too. Gear- Conan had some excellent points in there, yeah. Yeah, and they tried gearing the conversation that way, but I I think that a lot of them were got a lot more personal than anybody was expecting. Yeah. Uh it's it's a really fascinating artifact. Like I That's almost had I almost it. had like the thought of like, oh, maybe maybe Netflix doesn't believe enough in the material, so they tacked on this thing at the end. In other words, you need a bunch of stand-ups explaining why this is good. And I don't think the special needed to be viewed in that context. I do think the, st- the special actually stands on its own. But I wonder if Netflix was like, oh, maybe we should put a little spice at the end, just in case we're going to a place that the audience can't understand. Does that make sense? Maybe. I had mixed I mean, thoughts about it. But I love watching those people talk, so I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I, yeah, I thought it was a great, great group. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's the norm thing. Yeah. Adam, you should watch it. Oh, hi. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give it a a watch. (laughs) Sold. I don't think we ruined any of the jokes for you. (laughs) I will say the thing about slut shaving that that gave me that was belly laughter for me. (laughs) You're right. <laughs> the Michaela was in the other room, and I was just like, "I don't think we should shame the sluts. I think we should lift them above our shoulders." <laughs> All right, here's a jolly Go good slut. <laughs> I think that by shaming the sluts, we might make them stop being sluts. <laughs> it's like. Oh, he's a genius. He's, so like, he's talking about his wife. Like he's, he's not, not married. married. <laughs> he makes up just for the punchline a wife named Ruth. He goes, ah, I love my wife Ruth. <laughs> just so he can watch it. Even the name is funny, Ruth. <laughs> but that's another example of why Norm's material kind of works for this format. It's because like his jokes are so pure in that way. Like it's it there's no real like personal connection happening. It's it's very just like like I'm crafting this machine to extract laughter out of you and I'm going to make up I'm just going to make up things about my life. His memoir was similar in that way. Like he he <laughs> his whole memoir is a lie. And like I forget what the thing was called, but it's like these are based on true stories and none of it is true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's I don't know. I just he's just a genius this guy. I miss him. Man, I miss him so much. Man, I miss him. Anyway, uh, should we talk Hannibal now? Oh, sure. <laughs> norm, That's man. That's a segue. That's Fucking a segue. Norm, yeah. dude. What's the se- <laughs> what's the connective tissue between Norm McDonald and Hannibal Lecter? And Ray Liotta. And Ray, they're oh, dead. Yeah, Ray Liotta. <laughs> they're dead. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, this is not going to really be much of a Ray Liotta conversation, but there it is. Rest in peace, Ray Liotta. Now, let's talk about Hannibal. 2001 film mm. starring Anthony Hopkins reprising his role from Silence of the Lambs 10 years prior. Jodie Foster does not return as Clary Starling. Instead, Julianne Moore fills in uh, and rounding out the cast are luminaries like Gary Oldman, 
uh, as Mason Verger. Um, I guess there's no Jack Crawford in this movie, right? Well, Jack Crawford was killed, right? Or no, that's not Jack Crawford. That's uh, Chilton. Chilton was killed. Chilton was yeah, killed. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no Jack Crawford. No Jack Crawford no. in this movie. Um, yeah, no no uh, Will Graham in this movie. Yeah. No. Anyway, the, okay. There's the cast. Ray Liotta's in it. Uh, Tio Salamanca's in it. That's right. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Love that guy. S- smelling hand creams. <laughs> um, okay, Hannibal. Uh, Nick, this is the first time you saw it? Uh, it is. It is. Talk to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's it's obviously not nearly as good as Silence of the Lambs. I mean, like, oh, that, like no shit, right? <laughs> wow, uh, but, understatement but, of the year. And I had known that. I had known that before <laughs> seeing this. Um, and there are several sequels, uh, I guess, and spinoffs of prequel. There Silence is, of the Lambs. There's a however you want to call it. There's several of them, and obviously none of them are anywhere up there. There are I, only I think, four Hannibal novels. Only but four. they have been turned into multiple TV shows and movies at this point. Yes. Yeah. I, I think one of the things they fail to understand is that part of the reason that Hannibal Lecter is so effective in that movie is because he's behind bars and doesn't do anything. He's just scary. Mm, it's right. like there's this there is this common thing of like shit's a lot scarier when you don't actually know. What's going on? We, the, the fear we can imagine in our own minds is stronger than anything they can do on film. Yeah. He- hearing about uh, uh, a census worker being eaten with fava beans and a nice can tea mm-hmm. is more scary than actually watching the meal getting prepared. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that he can disarm you with his questions, with his stories, with his looks. And that's far more terrifying than him, you know, removing someone's skull you know, sure. just well, and it's, the brains. It's, it's, there's enough you, of that in the first movie, though. I mean, there's a whole oh, sequence sure. where he wears a guy's face. Yes, in the first yeah, movie. And it's and so it's unbelievable. But, but. but when you see a lot of these things happen, they're almost more comical than scary in this film. Yes. I mean, the obvious examples are at the end, Ray Liotta getting his brain eaten. It's hilarious and not really <laughs> scary, honestly. But no. even like something a lot more uh, minor, like he's in the uh it's it's a old historical building and he like slits the guy's neck open in this mm-hmm. one fluid motion he just like suddenly turns and slits the guy's neck oh, open d- right? d- disembowels him well that right. that's no no not not that guy this is yeah. the uh yeah the one right he's after. just like some minor cop character oh, or something right 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 yeah, right or whatever the fuck he is i don't even remember but it's it's this one little minor scene that doesn't matter it's like two seconds but it looks comical and unbelievable because he's this old fucking man moving like an action star well this works when the old man doing it is dracula uh and this is what part of the crux of like (laughs) i i don't i want to save some of my thoughts but one of my issues with the movie is the treatment of the hannibal character and how he's more of a movie monster in a lot of ways than an actual interesting like fascinating villain beyond just being a scary villain this is to me i sort of equate this movie to what if jason bourne were a cannibalistic serial killer on the run it's kind of what this movie looks and feels like a lot of the time specifically the bourne identity uh and that's a weird mix Definitely is. Okay, so maybe <laughs> well, this will... Yeah, go ahead. The idea that he's there to spread terror like, I, I, is so not 
what he was in the first movie, obviously. Like, the idea that he disembowels the guy and hangs him in a public, like, just off a building. Yes, it's very poetic to the guy's, like, family history or whatever, because he had a relative who was hung from that same building 500 years ago. And also, like, very, like, gory and gothic in a very, like, modern way, yeah. But, like, Hannibal doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to go back to jail. Like, why would he do something so publicly? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it is kind of weird to, like, go into hiding for 10 years, and this is how he comes out of retirement. (laughs) So... Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're right, Adam, in, in the sense that uh, this is not a character um, with superpowers. This is a character with supreme intellect mm-hmm. that is able to get out of situations because he can outsmart you. And yeah. just because he has an appetite for uh, human flesh and like has a propensity towards violence doesn't make him like a brooding Bane character. And it yeah. certainly doesn't make him a universal monster. And I I think, like, that's what this movie gets wrong. Yes, there's that whole set piece in the first movie where he breaks out of the prison cell by swapping out the guy's face. And, like, okay, I, I get it. Like, that's a fucking hard thing to do. But he doesn't, like, overpower his way out of that situation. Like, he makes very, like, calculated, specific choices that lead to him breaking free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not like a, a flashy firefight. It's not a lot of hand-to-hand combat. It's just like a couple of choices that, and Demi does a brilliant job in like a very like Hitchcockian manner of giving you those small choices and then it building to that crescendo at the end when he's in the ambulance. Whereas in this movie, yeah, he sort of becomes this this werewolf he becomes this vampire he's like around every corner and is gonna slit your wrist and is gonna you know knock you out and it's like uh, yeah when when you see anthony hopkins doing it like that is not his brand of menace nor just physically he just doesn't match that maybe he would have if he was 30 but you're right nick it's anthony hopkins it's old man anthony hopkins (laughs) i do you do need to stress though that he does go really out there in that in the escape scene in the silence of the lambs when he cuts open the guy does also disembowels a guy hangs him up like an angel sure but that's more like character purposes like he's kind of literally just doing that for his own pleasure it's like well because i can get away with it now i'm going to do do an art form out of my killings which is you know very telling of his character sure which in a way they carry over here but they just don't make oh, it i as- would say they de- they actually hit that point extra hard here. that's part of the problem yeah. um I, I have to talk about the other movies for a second, though, because there is a consensus around this whole series in that um, Silence of the Lambs is the best movie. Hannibal Rising is the worst movie. Uh, there's a discrepancy on whether or not Red Dragon is better than Manhunter. but Which ge- I think is absurd, but that's a podcast for well, another funny day. Enough, generally speaking, people like Red Dragon more. Yeah, I think that's an absurd take. Um, I happen to agree with that. Red Dragon's better. Yeah, it's, <laughs> don't we don't have the time today? We don't um, have the time to litigate that. But there is also one. There's one more consensus around this whole thing, and that is that well, beyond those other two, Hannibal is definitely the second worst. Um, um, yes. <laughs> there, there's. I haven't. I don't know. I, I haven't I, found many lists that 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 go against that notion, and. Having I feel like there's been some kind of reclamation effort, though, where post it? the Hannibal TV show. Well, that's different, though, because I think what the Hannibal TV show, Hannibal, the, the Mads Mikkelsen series yeah. does the Hannibal storyline again. And I'm talking now about the book and the subsequent movie like it. Mm-hmm. It does the Italy stuff um, in, in its third season. It does everything with Mason Verger. It, it actually does Red draws Dragon that out a lot further. Too. And it does Red Dragon at the end. We've all watched the Hannibal show. 
I haven't seen. I've seen thing, enough though. of it. Yeah. I've seen like yeah. a bits the first season, but but again, that's Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. So it's it's not only that, but it's also and they Brian also set Fuller. it up. They set it up in a, early on to yes. be that. They set the tone very early. This is a gothic melodrama. I think and in it's the first episode, there's like fucking like deer heads and shit like <laughs> totally it's it's really art house and it's funny that it was made on like nbc network television but it yeah. you know it's very art house it's it's very yeah uh, what what would even be the comparison um oh, i don't know yeah like it, it, it very like sure gothic let's use the word gothic and right so they they give you two seasons of that of like oh gothic melodrama in police procedural clothing and then by the time you get to the Mason Verger stuff, it's like, oh, this makes perfect sense, even though you're watching something that is absolutely insane. And I think after that show, there was this, uh, I think, reckoning among fans where it's like, oh, maybe Hannibal doesn't have to be this. Maybe it doesn't have to just be Anthony Hopkins. Maybe it doesn't just have to be Jodie Foster. Maybe it doesn't have to just be standard police procedural with uh, with Hannibal as a sort of mentor figure, maybe there is this underlying romantic element to it. And I think the show fucking nails that. And I think in particularly the third season of that show fucking nails that. But they do the work to get there. And I think when you when you position this movie as a direct sequel to a critically beloved multi Oscar winning classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're gonna fall short. I'm sorry. You just are. Like, well, I, there was no I, I universe where this was gonna work. Are you sure people are reclaiming this movie? Though? I think they're I, reclaiming the idea of the movie. I Does don't that think, make sense? I don't think they're reclaiming the movie, man. Maybe not. I don't think. Here's so. the thing. Like, the, the one crux of this whole film is actually like the smallest, most nuanced detail of like the final scene is really, or one of the final scenes. It's literally just Hannibal is handcuffed to mm. Clarice and um, he's holding up a cleaver and he's like I gotta get out of here and he goes <laughs> you want above the wrist or below the wrist yep. and then they cut where she's walking out of the house he's escaped and the cops come and they're like put up your hands and you see she raises both of her hands yep. and the obvious thing is that he cut off his own hand and it's like the weirdest act of kindness from this cannibalistic well, serial they, killer they share a kiss too they I do. know but and, they, and so my whole my whole point it's, though it's, it's, hold on it's let me there get to my point go ahead go yeah ahead, sorry my sorry. point is that you have a two hour film that is really just a five minute section of the film that's actually the whole story that's it everything else is fucking filler and that's, that's why the, the that's the issue and let me get to my thoughts that's why the movie blows yes guys this movie <laughs> on okay because I was watching it I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big. I'm a big. I I like Manhunter just fine. It's okay. Um, Manhunter fucking slaps. It's okay. Don't let this guy. Tom, Tom, you got a great convince you otherwise. Got a great Tom Noonan uh, performance and an awesome portrayal of Will Graham. That's fine. Uh, Red William Dragon. Peterson fucking awesome. Yeah. Early Michael Mann movie. It fucking. It's a dope ass movie. Eh. And also like really like artsy and weird and dated. ahead of its time. <laughs> Fuck off. It's, it's a little, dated. It's a little dated. Ahead of its time and yeah. dated at the yeah. same time. Shut the hell up. This is you. Thing. Shut the hell up. Now, Red Dragon, <laughs> on the other hand, is... Is a piece of dog shit. Uh, it's Ra- Brett Ratner fucking bumming around and with soap opera not, lighting. You guys cannot and be this more is, polarized on this. Get the fuck out of here no, with Red no, Dragon, but, dude. but this is the bias that Nico... How fucking 
boring is that movie? Stop. It, like, it's not scary. It's not thrilling. There's no good action in it. Are like, gonna, what is it? But this is the, the point I wanted to make in re- regarding these two movies. Because we, we, this is sort of a storied history on the pod. Not necessarily just this podcast, but the other one where I brought up that I really don't understand how Nico could like Hannibal more than Red well, Dragon. Well, here's what it was. <laughs> you said Red Dragon was better than Manhunter. I said yep. fuck off because it is even Hannibal is better than Red Dragon. Ah, that I think that's sort of how it. But you spiraled. can't. But this is you can't accept the fact that maybe Brett Ratner made uh or definitely made a better movie than Ridley Scott, and that he probably made a better movie than Michael Mann. Is is that fair to say? Because I think it's kind of blatantly obvious, <laughs> and I don't think it's much competition. I don't know. No, both of them made a better movie than Brett Ratner. No, they did not. This is better. You're this, a, this is better. Oh my this god, this is better. You're such a moron, okay. dude. I, I haven't seen the other okay. films okay. we're discussing here, so can, it's difficult for me to I, chime in on that. But I can say unequivocally that this movie is pretty bad. It's very bad. Okay. Can I? Yeah. Can I it's, begin it's kinda, my? It's kind of not good. Full throated defense here. Ah, here's where I think the hang up is. They pull the trick with this sequel that was pulled on Ridley Scott many years prior. Where the original Silence of the Lambs is very obviously a horror movie. Mm. And the sequel tries to be something else. In Ridley Scott's case, it was Alien and Aliens, right? He makes a pretty down-the-middle horror film, and then James Cameron comes in and sort of... There are horror elements, but makes it more of an action movie. And I think Ridley now is in the in is in the inverse position where he's coming to reckon with this bona fide classic of American cinema. And he's also given this really weird manuscript to yeah. work with. Yeah, well, the part of the issue here is that like the manuscript, a.k.a. the book Hannibal, is one of the more polarizing novels in recent memory. Just, yeah, it's a really weird book. Just because, it's, yeah, it's fucking bizarre and the ending doesn't make any sense. The ending is weirder than the ending yes. of this movie. And that's <laughs> that's why Jodie Foster dropped out. Because totally. She, because she hated the story so much. She hated the direction that Clarice was going in. It, uh, I mean... The, the so note- okay, Ridley's working with some really Difficult fucking weird source stuff. text. So let's let's begin with that. Like there are a ton of like weird book sequels. Oh yeah, out there that like no one has ever heard of. Like you know, read Charlie in the Glass Elevator, yeah. whatever the hell that book is. Like even um, even Doctor Strange or Doctor Sleep Doctor is a Sleep, yeah. is a very bizarre um, sequel to The Shining, yeah. and like. Those movies very rarely, if ever, get made. Like, usually it's just, like, this weird cliff note on the Wikipedia page of some, like, bona fide classic. Yeah. We were just talking about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird the other day. Like, <laughs> to, uh, go go uh, go set a watchman is even, you know, stranger. So, like, it's just, it's very rare that a movie like this gets made. That, uh, you know, most of the time those novels just sort of die on the bookshelf. Sure. So, when, once you accept that we have to use this as the source material. Again, Dino De Laurentiis paid $10 million for the rights yeah. to this book. And the book was a major bestseller and this movie did really well at the box office. Yes, so, once we accept that we have to work with this, well, we can't really make a Silence of the Lambs sequel anymore. Like, we definitely need to take it in a bold new direction. Uh, and talk- it is bold. I mean, it is undeniably bold, this movie, in a way that Red Dragon just simply is not. It is retelling the same story that Michael Mann told 15 years prior with none of the pizzazz, none of the chutzpah, none of the spunk, none of the spark. But and- why is it that... <laughs> I, I, I'm not talking about Silence of the Lambs. I, I don't know if I really subscribe to this idea that just because there was, like, a sequel book, like, that they had to even do anything. 
anything. They didn't have to. I I, I would argue that they shouldn't have made this movie. It's you know, so like bad. it's there, there's and there's a lot of re- like part of the reason why Red Dragon just works because it's a better story. This is a I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. It's a disjointed, ugly, disaster mess of a movie that is. Here, here's the crazy thing about it. With how lurid the subject matter is, it's it is lurid. so boring, man. God, this movie's fucking boring. I mean, half, half the time, like, there's there's not a single interesting thing about any of the subplots in it. I mean, the Clarice stuff, man. She's just looking at screens the entire movie. That's, that is, that's they all she's They do sideline her for an it's, hour of the movie, and that is a little distracting. Like the art dealer shit with Hannibal? I like the stuff with the Italian cop. But that should I be, liked that stuff. But that's the other problem. Is like that's all one movie, right? That's all one movie. But that that they try to jam I, into I, I this thing. Yeah, I would have liked if the movie was like this Italian cop guy trying to turn in Hannibal without Hannibal knowing, and Clarice warning him like, "Don't, he's on to you." But he's a plot and, device, isn't he? Just to get uh, Hannibal to Mason Mason Verger. That's like all he's really there for. But the, they, the movie, that could have been the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> it, and it would have been better. There's a lot of uh, dramatic cuts to this story you need to make in order for it to make any sense for film. So there is that. And they made a lot of them. Yeah, but they, they made did. a whole lot of them. You have to cut so much more. Nick, the ending of this movie involves <laughs> uh, Clarice offering up her breast to Hannibal in the dining scene with the Ray Liotta character. Hannibal then getting down on one knee and proposing to Clarice. The two of them running off together and becoming lovers and living out their days just like fucking fucking. That's the end of the novel. Yeah. Hmm. And Ridley Scott came in and was like, what in God's name is this? <laughs> but the book is almost designed that way. It's almost yeah, it's desi- a provocation yeah, provocation right? book. That's entirely and the people point. hated the book like they absolutely despised it. And again, because it's it is a very much a fairy tale. It's it's turning. Well, a, and- these two characters you know, into Romeo and Juliet. What I don't like, too, is like at the end of this movie, there is an element of. Not even at the end, throughout the movie, there is an element of Clarice does have this obsession with Hannibal, whether it's definitely sexual yes. or arousal. I don't know, but there's certainly obsession and there's certainly a, a return on that from Hannibal. And that was all <laughs> unspoken in the original movie. That's kind of the brilliant right. thing about that first movie is that uh, their fascination with each other is yeah. unspoken. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it, I I would have liked it better if there was like more, even more than there was already in this movie, even more overt uh, obsession, romantic obsession from Hannibal, and even stronger pushback from Clarice of just like you are disgusting and I hate you, you're vile. Yeah, there's not much actual back and forth that is ever really felt. It's more like on the page, which is a big problem I have with this thing, um, and that and this kind of leads to in regards to the characters here, just like. I just got kind of have to be honest. I think Julianne Moore is just not up to the task. I think she's a robot, and I don't think yeah. they. I don't. I think the charisma here is is dramatically lacking. They, they tried to justify scenes, it. They but, did try to justify it with now she's a hardened agent after years, and she's had to see hard things and whatever. They, I'm just saying they. I'm she just saying almost they did. shoots a baby. Yeah, yeah. she. Yeah. I think has the my, record my for most not, uh, killings by an FBI agent. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with you, Adam, but I, I do think that. Ridley Scott knew that and tried to make it work. I'm not saying it's not intentional, but you need a much you need a different actor to make that compelling. And she's just not. So yeah. let me ask you yeah. a question. If Jodie Foster is in this movie, does it work at all? I don't know. Maybe. Does it work better? Possibly. Possibly. But we're I, but I we're speculating. Tell, right? I can't tell you. I have no idea. 
so this is my thing. I th- and actually Roger Ebert was the one that sort of cracked this code for me because in his review of the movie he said we do not miss Foster as much as we miss her character. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah. So Jodie Foster wanted uh, a reported $20 million salary plus 15% of the gross of this movie. Um, and it was this <laughs> that's, whole... That's nuts. It was crazy. And Dino De Laurentiis was... Do they ever lot. give actors any percentage of the gross? Is that even... I've, 15% uh, is a lot. God, I don't know. It's a lot. It's what more than le- Downey's getting on the, on the Avengers movies. I'll I was going to say, what does that leave? Like, How much does that leave for the studio? Yeah, it's a lot. Like 30%? It's a lot. <laughs> like, she's taking 15% and the studio is getting 30%? Like, that's crazy. Right. So, oh, okay. yeah, Dino De Laurentiis, he had a great quote in the behind the scenes uh, making of this thing. He was like, yeah, you know, uh, Judy Foster wanted 20 million and 15%, but I thought, dad, in that Italian accent, you know, I, really, when I think about it, that Judy Foster was never the, the right woman for the role in the first place they should have never cast judy foster in the first Ju- what he said judy <laughs> he called her judy oh foster. lord <laughs> oh god okay J- jody foster judy foster doesn't take the part yes and julianne moore takes the character in a radically new direction so i'm i i do kind of see what ebert's saying here when he's like yeah like even if Foster was in this movie, this version of the character may still have been unrecognizable. Fine. Right? Yeah. But this is, again, sort of furthering furthering my point where it's like, maybe you don't make this into a movie. <laughs> There's too many things that can go wrong. There's so much fighting against what we, I guess, want out of a sequel, I suppose. with some, It's not... The, and the other thing, like, in regards to, like, The Shining versus Doctor Sleep is that those are fantastical enough where you can make certain leaps, whereas this is just real people, like, just fighting each other in a, in a world that we kind of recognize so it's it's you can't find your footing to begin with if you're going into it as a big fan of silence of the lambs which everyone here is so there is that but then just as it is just as a movie guys like like what 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 is there to 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 get out of this i don't even care for anthony hopkins all that much in this movie as opposed to red dragon which he's quite good it's fantastic in that movie and again (laughs) there's another there's another thing where his interplay between him and edward norton is really really interesting Oh, well, if Ed Norton's in it, then I got to be on Adam's side. I'm sorry. It's also just like a better villain. Like Ray Fiennes is genuinely terrifying. And you get that wonderful scene with him and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, oh, that's stuff. See, so I good. think Philip Seymour, and Philip Hoffman's- Seymour Hoffman's in it, too. Yeah. Okay, he plays oh, my God. Freddy I'm sorry, Lounge. Nico. You lost. Yeah. <laughs> like, Nico, there's there, what is. Don't the, you like, find him like kind of dull in it by Philip Seymour Hoffman's standards? Like, I kind of, he's kind of like on autopilot. Everybody's okay, on autopilot okay, in that movie. Nick, let me explain you a nice little scene. There is a scene where he, Philip Seymour Hoffman is taped to a chair and stripped down naked, and he's forced to act to Ray Fine stripping down in front of him and showing off his dragon tattoo. It's great. It's really, really spectacular to watch him Sounds go on that scene. And boy, does it end in spectacular fashion. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, in the original movie too, and man shoots it brilliantly. Yeah, great. It's better in Red Dragon. Jeez, oh, you asshole! <laughs> <laughs> You're the, oh my god! I can't. I, it's it. I cannot fathom how you can see that Hannibal is better. Like, uh, if you think Manhunter's better than Red Dragon, whatever. But like, th- dude, this thing's such a piece of shit by comparison. Like, even visually, it's not as good. And that's saying something from me, because I love Ridley Scott so much, but I'm shocked by just how generic this feels. 
Particularly yeah, the that thing I've, dragon. Okay, we, we'll, the biggest sorry, thing I've for, learned. For another day. <laughs> the, the biggest thing I've learned in in doing these podcasts for so many years is actually the surprising number of bad movies that Ridley Scott has been involved in. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's, no, I would it's actually, argue it's it's more surprising than I think people expect. Oh no, I I, I completely agree. I, I have a <laughs> I have a funny relationship with Ridley Scott, of course, but I would still say like like despite my love for him, this is one of his worst films by far. I think it's, it's not worse than the counselor. Interesting. I In what know. way? I don't. I think the Italy stuff is actually kind of looks like every other like, Italy movie. I've are ever you just seen, in bro? love with Italy? <laughs> looks, are you just kind of like yeah, it is kind of a cheat code. It, I mean, it's like, it is a little bit like Ron Howard did it better in Angels and Demons. I think the stuff at Union Station <laughs> is okay. I think like as an action set piece, like it kind of works. I can't tell but, what the fuck is going on. The, I don't know the but well, decidedly so right like that's intentional like the bullshit <laughs> what well, is like you're supposed to not know where hannibal is at any moment and i thought like that was oh cool. that's it yeah that's uh, yeah that's union station okay yeah. okay but d- does that does does that scene not feel crazy out of place and silly I don't buy Hannibal doing any of this. Here, Why would he do any of that? He can contact her so much more easily than putting himself at risk. And it's again, such, it's yeah, such a, okay. it's such a nothing of a scene. Okay, and it ends and he abruptly. Also does not, it's he just, does not play like this, like super intelligent psychologist or whatever at all. Like, no. he does not really play with anybody's emotions. No, not really. the The closest they get to him being like a smart psychologist person is pointing out what part of Ray Liotta's brain does what <laughs> the brain feels no pain as he as cuts it up yeah. <laughs> don't you think the conversation he has with the Italian cop though when they when Ridley sort of shoots him with that ray of light you know through the, the crack of the door on his face <laughs> That's like the one visual that sticks out for yeah me. I mean there's there's some there's some good Hopkins in that scene I, I think I'm going to keep coming back to this doesn't work as a Silence of the Lamb sequel, but it might kind of work as its own standalone thing. Well, I'm not judging it as a Silence of the Lamb sequel anymore because it's so tr- so deliberately trying to go away from that. I'm just taking it as an international thriller. Yeah, that's what it that's I, what it really is. And here's so kind of like, what I agree with you on, Nico, is the fact that like I can tell that this idea and the reclamation of this idea is not necessarily bad. Like this idea could work. But this movie does not work. Yeah, it's that, a cha- that is a fact. This movie is bad. It is too long with all, focused <laughs> on all the wrong things. There are nuggets of really incredible stuff in there, but it's not it's too too little. Well, I OK, I agree that it doesn't work. Practically, I'm not sure that it doesn't work in the abstract. <laughs> does, does that make sense? But no. I, like, OK, so let, let me put it to you this way. Right. OK, let, let me put it to you this way. There's a scene in that original movie where. Uh, when when uh, when Hopkins is in that like makeshift cage, yeah, and he hands the blueprints over to Clarice, he sort of runs his finger up her finger, and that is meant to be like this, this like unbelievable like watershed moment between the two of them. It's just one tap of the finger on another finger. Uh, here, like Hannibal, just like picks up Clarice after she got shot and <laughs> yeah. and and carries her to like his uh to Ray Liotta's cabin in the uh, or the lake house and like there's just a lot of contact between the two of them and it's you know, there's not much tension to it and like I think like 
those moments, those action sequences that I think might be compelling on their own are lessened because we know what their relationship was in the prior movie. And I, like, again, I'm not defending it. Like, I, I don't mean to defend it in that way. Like, I agree with you as a fan of the Silence of the Lambs original. Like, this definitely cheapens some aspects of their characters. Mm-hmm. But when viewed as its own artistic statement, like, I don't I don't feel as strongly as you guys do i guess like i i i I, I really don't sit there and be like huh i I gotta be honest with you though i don't think adam and i are at all coming from it from that approach of this is a sequel i really don't think we are yeah i'm I'm, i haven't i've seen the original silence of the lambs nico but i i have not watched it in over six years i can tell you for a fact that i couldn't even remember clarice's name you think i well there you go (laughs) like i i can't I, i can't view this as a sequel because i barely remember it i haven't seen it for five years yeah, I just I've only seen you, it twice ever. I don't think it I don't care what perspective you look at it from. I just think uh as its own individual piece, it just nothing about it works. Everything kind of feels deflated and 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 half baked and there are scenes that should be very scary that are not scary like when Hannibal comes into her house and she's asleep. Should be a Well, real, that's a dream, right? No. It's not. He even says, I saw, I saw you laying there and you smell this way and so on. And so he leaves the message on the phone. Oh, I always took that as a dream. No. Oh, it's okay. Not, yeah, it's not. It, that, that should be horrifying. That, that, that almost, I guess you could call it a first reveal where they meet. But no, it's just, and he's in the house now. And it's just, a, it's just everything's just kind of flatlined for me. I did find their first phone call. That was actually the first moment where they met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I did find that to sort of be underwhelming where yeah. she's like, Dr. Lecter, like, uh, let him go. And it's. Uh, yeah, I, that should have been like a moment where she's like, oh, shit, here's this this traumatic figure from my past reemerging. Yeah, but the whole movie is filled with instances like that. Like, and this is the shocking thing about it to me. I just think the storytelling sucks. It's, it's crazy because it's Ridley Scott. But again, it kind of reaffirms my theory about Ridley Scott is that even though he's a fantastic director, he can never, ever overcome terrible material. And apparently the script process for this was disastrous. It's a terrible script, and I'm sorry, Steve Zalian, David Mamet, whatever the hell you did, but like this is, it's terrible. So Mamet was brought in after Ted Talley, the original screenwriter of Silence, said no. Who came back for Red Dragon, by the way. Came back for Red Dragon, uh, <laughs> said no to this, uh, along with Jodie Foster. Jonathan Demme also said no. He's like, this is fucking weird. I can't make this work. <laughs> yeah, everyone wanted to. They bring Mamet to do the draft. The draft apparently was horrible. Needed a lot of work. I think like Mamet wanted to make more of like a he wanted to make a Mamet movie. He wanted <laughs> to be sort of a psychoanalytic. You know, a lot of scenes of Hannibal and Clary's just sitting there talking about their feelings mm. in the way that you know Mamet likes to sort of tell, not show. Yeah. Um, and apparently, like yeah, there was like a lot of the, the climax just didn't work. Certain moments were not emphasized in the right way. Uh, they then bring on Steve Zaley. And again, so you have two of the greatest screenwriters of their generation uh, doing uh, individual drafts of this. And apparently Zalian came in and just gave it a total uh, new paint job. And that was the version that they were happy with. But <laughs> yeah, between that and also like Thomas Harris's novel being really fucking weird and like the ending having to be changed. Like there's also a, a whole character, the character of Margot, mm-hmm. who's in the Hannibal TV show is not in the uh, the Hannibal movie. Yeah. Uh, who's um, uh, the the brother of Mason Verger? She's like a lesbian bodyguard. Who? This is the one that uh, uh, stuffs the Mora yield down his throat, right? And then has him jizz and yeah. 
Yeah, she wants to <laughs> she wants people to impregnate her girlfriend yeah. and qualify the child for like the inheritance money. <laughs> oh yeah. So she's hanging around and is just abused by her brother so because he promises that he'll give her a, a sample of his sperm. Oh wait, so she wait, she stuffs the she's she, uh, cattle prod up his butt. Staff, stuffs the cattle prod <laughs> up his butt, causes him to ejaculate and then stuffs an electric eel down his throat and kills him that way. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's complicated. <laughs> so, I mean, this is stuff they had to cut out. Like, this was weird. So, you say, like, this movie is weird and, like, doesn't work and, like, it makes no sense. And it's I, like, this whole subplot is... God, I want to be at that writer's table. Why don't we cut the scene where she stuffs a cattle prod up his asshole and has him come all over the place? You know, we should cut that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas loved the book. I have a few notes. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, great stuff. <laughs> anyway, great stuff. So, yeah, point being, like, I, I, I get it. It's not that I, I'm hip to what you guys are saying, man. Like, I understand this is a fucking weird thing that probably shouldn't have been made into a movie, and they were probably better off just letting Steve Zalian write his own Sons of Lamb sequel with just another. Uh, like I don't know serial killer that Hannibal helps Clarice capture and mm. like they could have hinted at some of the romantic stuff but I mean I this mean, could this, have been this could have been Mindhunter before Mindhunter sure. totally I you mean, know where he's Williams like is, where he, is, but I mean he could be like the Ed Kemper helping them like kind of catch all these guys well that's what the books were yeah, before yeah, this book yeah I mean like there were, okay yeah, yeah that's what it was I've only seen the one so and everyone was cool with it like this and then it yeah it turned into something else. Yeah, Keep in mind, this movie it. was also released on Valentine's Day weekend. <laughs> like they were, they were very much in on the joke here. Yeah, you know, being like, this is the rom com of the century. You know, yeah. I mean, I guess that's <laughs> very odd. Um, it's it's also, I guess, important to note too about the film's legacy is like I think when this is one of the Hannibal Lecters that has become, I guess, a little more indelible, and in that like a lot of people think of this version. I think of Lecter, like the guy that sits you down at a table and serves you your foot or your your arm or whatever. And I know that that was carried over a lot in the TV show. So yeah, it's 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 so there's like equal parts. Like they sometimes think of the guy behind the cage, and then they also think of this distinguished artsy gentleman who, you know, lights candles and eats you. So yeah, like I said, the show begins um, with sort of the 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 tonality of Hannibal the book and Hannibal the movie. Yeah. Like it's, it, it sort of reverse engineers this version of the Will Graham story, knowing that eventually we're going to end up in Italy with, with Hannibal disemboweling guys and hanging them from churches. Mm-hmm. Like, so when you begin with that and you take three seasons to build it, it's of course going to work a lot better. Like I, again, I, I'm just, I guess I'm defending the swing more than anything else. Like I, this material could work. I think in the right context, with the right director, with the right actors, and it's the, show, just, the show has proven that it does, it can work. It does. Yeah, work. it's a fucking the show awesome has proven show that for sure. Yeah, the yeah, problem yeah. is here too with that show is like Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal is legitimately fucking scary, mm-hmm. and also really fascinating. Not just when he's talking, but also when he's killing. Yeah, right. And Anthony Hopkins <laughs> is only interesting when he's talking. Sure. And he's not intimidating when he's killing. It's right. hilarious when he's killing. And also just these scenes, the tone of the movie is not scary, nor is it a thriller. It's <laughs> kind of nothing. 
No, that's that's what I keep coming back to. It's just kind of nothing. It's to me. it's just kind of yeah. reading off the page of a book. It's like I just don't know how you can say that about this movie and not Red Dragon though. Like because to me that movie is like so paint by numbers like CSI episode. Like if there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing that jumps out off the page on a filmmaking level with that movie. And like that to me like the the Hannibal franchise is held to a high standard. You have Demi and Michael Mann working on these things. Wh- whatever, dude. I don't care. It's still a good movie. There's nothing in this movie no, that I think it's that a e- safe that movie. E- I think it's fine. Like I think like it it's paint by numbers and like works well enough as again an episode of CSI or something. But like as a Hannibal Lecter movie, like when when they go, I mean, it's a Red Dragon movie, you know. It's it's yeah. And the Red Dragon called... is a weird fucking story. Sure. That villain is a weird ass guy. Yeah, I agree. And to just sort of like, uh, what did you the, want them to do? Even in that Red Dragon movie where they yeah. they introduce Ray Fiennes for the first time, and he's doing like he's he's on he's he's uh, on the bench press in his mm. attic. As his grandmother is talking to him from beyond the grave. And it's like, yeah, it's like basic ass psycho shit. Like, it's like nothing. Like, it reminded me a lot of Gus Van Sant's Psycho. Uh, like a very like simple telling of what you, it used to be a very stylized, mm. creepy, horror infused story. And there's just none of that in Red Dragon. And listen, do you need a shit ton of like hyper stylization? It'd be nice. Because here's the thing. It'd be nice. I don't know. Well, Nico, the bottom line is that the character work is better, and the script is better, and the story is better. It's more competent. No, it's just better, dude. I'm sorry, but I hate to say it. I'm sorry, dude. But yes, Brett Ratner does a better job telling those stories. He does. I I, I think it's blatantly... I I do think that... I I appreciate... uh, I appreciate a good swing as much as you, Nico. But... I still think that just a safe, competent movie. Like, I'd rather see any Marvel movie than watch this again. I mean, yes, it's a weak <laughs> excuse for what is a piece of shit movie. I, 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 I can get, appreciate <laughs> I can appreciate a swing. I'm not trying to make excuses. I actually don't, I'm, like, I, no, I, I know you're not. Yeah. I actually don't think the problem with this really is the swing. I really don't. I think the problem that we've all identified is the problem here. And I just I, I don't know why we're having a confusion about it it's a horrible story it's a bad script there's no confusion i'm not i'm not even saying that it's a good movie like okay this is something that i've been reckoning with a lot on this podcast lately and also just like more in general the stuff that i've been doing the stuff the stuff i've been writing about the the podcast videos i'm doing like i'm trying to establish some sort of value structure here oh there's no such thing what is it that we're valuing in movies oh god and and what is it that necessarily what is it that makes a movie bad what is it that makes a movie good and can you define it is there yeah, a no. way to quantify it is there a way to define it because we're using terms like good and bad definitively sure. those sure. are definitive terms those mm-hmm. are terms that we can sort of we can conceptualize right like a, a good baseball player has a higher batting average than a bad baseball player. And th- those are things that are, they're definite terms. And when we talk about movies like this and we use terms like good or bad, it's a term that everybody uses the second they walk out of a movie. What did you think about it? Right? So that's the so first question you ask. Yeah. Your layman average moviegoer friends. You ask, what did you think of the movie? And they have an answer. They have a criticism. They can say good or bad. And I'm trying to figure out what exactly that means. No, and I actually, so this is this is a really, we've talked about this off air before several yeah. times. And this is the ultimate thesis of this podcast in a lot of ways. I mean, for the elements of this podcast that we're, we're attempting to be intellectuals, right? <laughs> the, 
the the point Don't is use that term ever again to describe the point the is we're trying to talk about these movies that are quote unquote bad as mm-hmm. if they are good and trying to identify you know what is What's it about that? it that we can appreciate the problem though with a movie like this and a lot of the duds that we've had that just didn't work for the show and i actually almost kind of think this is one of them that kind of just doesn't work is because the problems were there long before anybody turned on a camera yeah yeah these but is are that true though but yeah. is that true if it works on the hannibal show is that true it's a completely different approach completely different it is but it's the same story but I, in fact all, they get even weirder it's with almost the not the same story at that point though with how much more is added on I, I and i'm i am with you in the sense that they gave it a context that this movie does not give no. So now we're not viewing this movie in a hermetically sealed uh, you know, vacuum, right? Yeah, like, you're, yeah, we are your, your viewing point, it in a certain context. Your point is that it's not because, first off, there was the, the Silence of the Lambs that everybody saw. They have the same cast for the totally. most part. With, yeah. I mean, they swapped out some people. But, but um, I, I, I don't even think those are the issues. I think the issues really come down to the script and the fact that they based this off of the book. And yes. I don't think they needed to, and I don't think they should have. But okay, if they wanted to make the the Hannibal TV show, they could have done that. Right. But there is a lot of context you need ahead of this part of the story. They would have needed to remake Silence of the Lambs from a different approach to fill you in. <laughs> I'm not joking. I no, but yeah. but I agree. I know so, I'm I'm with you in this regard. Totally. I, I 100% agree. It is impossible just to walk this, into this movie. But just taking the Hannibal book itself yeah. and making it in a vacuum, I actually don't think works. I think that if you just took the Hannibal book and just made it a movie, it would suck. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. And it does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and this is kind of it. I don't know. I mean, it's I just I just think we're kidding ourselves to say that we can view this thing as its own artifact without all the preconceptions that we bring into it because I that, mean, I is, think if there, you take, that is the essence of movie watching right <laughs> i think if you take harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban and you make it a movie without any other book it's gonna be stupid and weird and confusing and nobody's gonna watch it yes because, I, right I, and that's what this is i'm with you i I'm trying to. Or, I don't know. I'm trying to. No, I, out I, I get what you're saying feeling. because I again. I'm not even <laughs> saying that the movie is good. I'm just I'm, like I'm not even trying to make the argument. I'm just trying to figure out what the word "good" means. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm all like I'm 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 not even at the good or bad point yet because I don't think like we've clearly defined exactly the terms that we're talking about. Like, here's a like more philosophically here. I don't want to get too fucking existential on this show because this is a... And this movie doesn't deserve this it. This is supposed to be about Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> the death of Ray Liotta. But, like, we enter movies with preconceptions not just about the movies we're about to watch, but life itself and, like, what we value in our art, right? Like, and when, when you say something is good or bad, you're not really grading something like a gymnastics routine in terms of precision you're great what you're doing is telling a story about what you value right so and you see this very obviously in like stand-up comedy right if you're offended by a dave Chappelle special if you say that a dave Chappelle special is bad what you're really saying is you value x y and z politically or x y and z socially or x y and z philosophically right you're not really commenting on the technical prowess of dave Chappelle. And I think it's, you know, to a lesser extent, that is true of all kinds of art. 
You walk into Hannibal with a preconception about who this character of Hannibal Lecter is supposed to be, right? You And you walk in knowing who Clary Starling is and who she is supposed to be. And more broadly, you have an idea of what a serial killer adventure mystery should be. And so it's kind of hard to separate yourself from it. It's, I, it's, it's really fucking hard to separate yourself from all of that bias, even if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, right? And so, like, I have a hard time watching a movie like this and dismissing it outright because the content is too fucking weird. Like, I, like that to me is just, like, something personally I'm trying to eliminate from, like, my own But we're, palette, not, we're right? not dismissing it outright because it's weird, though. Yeah, not, I think if anything... You could say the issues come in to where, again, I think it comes down to the script, <laughs> and I think it comes down to decisions made on the script. And there are two, there are probably two aspects of the script process that were flawed. One, mm-hmm. they based it off of the book, and yeah. two, the writers knew they were making a sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Yes, those two things are irreconcilable. Sure. You cannot make a sequel to Silence of the Lambs that is based on the book Hannibal. Hannibal. <laughs> because you can't. <laughs> yes. It's a good point. That's, you know what I mean? Like, right. and at some point, uh, like Ridley Scott has to sit here and say, am I making a sequel to Silence of the Lambs? Am I making a movie of the book Hannibal? Mm-hmm. What am I doing here? Right. I'm not sure he knew. And same with all the cast. And everyone else involved. I don't know if anybody, I don't think this movie was very aware of what it was because I don't think anybody knew exactly what they were doing. That's a great point. I think Mm -hmm. people were unsure. Are we making a sequel to Silence of the Lambs or are we making a book adaptation here? Yeah. And I I think that also in uh, whatever year this came out. 2001. 2001. um, I'm not sure anybody even thought to ask that question at the time because in... to oh, some Jody degree, yes. Yeah, sure. Well, <laughs> to some degree, you need to see this movie to realize why making this movie was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's a very exhaustive way of saying what I value is a movie that understands what it is. Well, it's you're definitely right too. It's a movie that's incredibly confused and never quite nails down a tone, which is frustrating throughout the majority of the runtime. But I, guys, like I, I like I go to a movie to be moved in some way or another. And it's just shocking to me that, that with a movie like this that is trying to be somewhat provocative, it just isn't. It I keep just coming back to this. It's just hmm. it's just nothing. Right. It's nothing. Nothing. I can't think of a single scene that works. I can't think of a single scene that moves me to the degree that the your insane line moves me in Red Dragon. Not even close. Maybe maybe there's an alternate universe (laughs) here where uh, this movie is about Hannibal and Clarice becoming lovers and running off. And now our discussion isn't uh, about whether the movie like was aware or not, but whether or whether it was provocative or not, I guess. <laughs> well, the interesting question is, would it have worked better had they right. stuck to the book? I mean, no, because, because, because then, then, then the movie, then our discussion here becomes. <laughs> We're back to that question again. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> That's it, yeah. 
you, our discussion you, is completely <laughs> different if that, if that happens, right? What a great button. <laughs> so, because uh, I don't know, man. I that, don't even know anymore. But that's my because that would have been really bold. That would have been truly bold. Like there's this facade of we're trying to be a little weird and different. But Nico, this is also. Uh sort of safe in its execution it's very paint considering the source material yes considering the source material precisely yeah yeah i mean but by by its nature the fact that it was trying to go away from the novel sort of implies that it's trying to be a much safer approach to this story well i I think that again shows like the confusion of the writers Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, no one knows where they are in this movie. Even, not even Anthony Hopkins. Knew, and he's admitted like, yeah, this is a stupid idea. I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. But he also was like, eh, they're paying me 11 million. I show yeah, I mean, up. I, yeah. I say the lines I leave. Yeah, like, he's he, an actor. He had like a very sort of clear minded approach to this, which is like, which, I, I'm an actor. I act. Yeah. This actually brings me to another uh, completely different but interesting point I was thinking about today is about how a lot of the actors or directors or writers that we are really attracted to are not just people who treat it as a job. And this is the thing that I think the layman doesn't understand is that most people in Hollywood, it's just a job. It's not, it's just, they, they landed there and that's what they do. You know, well, no, nor do most of them have the the luxury of, of treating it as a, as a vanity that, exercise. True, true. Yeah, right. Or, they're struggling or, and they have to take totally, what they get. And, totally. but I think the reason that we appreciate people like Nicolas Cage is because for him it is not just a job in a lot of ways. It is really like this thing that he is crazy. He's passionate about film. Yes. He right. loves movies right. more than anything. And he, this guy, Nicolas Cage, like, yeah, he makes a lot of money sometimes, but he also goes into a lot of debt sometimes. This is a guy who swings up and down because he always goes for it because he's passionate. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So Hopkins is definitely of the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the sort of, the old school Lawrence Olivier approach mm-hmm. of my dear boy. Why don't you try acting? Yeah. Great actor. <laughs> you know what Wonderful I mean? actor. Like, yeah. When, when Dustin Hoffman was on the set of marathon man and, and was sleep deprived for three nights and yeah. Lawrence Olivier goes, my dear boy, just try acting. He's, you know? And I think Hopkins is like, listen, I show up like just yeah. know the lines. I will. There's s- nothing wrong with any of that. I, I, two Oscars. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I I will say yeah, he's in perfectly regards, fine actor. <laughs> no, and I mean he he shows up though. He does a good even in that first Thor movie where he's saying you're not worthy to. Thor. Oh, he's great. That's in a Thor. really good scene. He's fucking yeah. awesome in Thor. <laughs> That's a really good scene. Yeah, he's that, great in everything. That movie is boring as sin, but like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least he, <laughs> at least he's good. No, it is admirable. Well, it, also there's just such a lack of pretension with him too that I love. You and, know, he is capable of. The most brilliant performances in the history of cinema mm-hmm. and has no ego about it whatsoever. I, because I was, you know, looking at clips of this movie beforehand, I was recommended uh, on YouTube the clip of him seeing the elephant man for the first time. And that is one of the saddest, most heart crushing moments in cinema I've ever seen in my life. John Hurt gets so much credit for that movie, but, but he's he really good. is unbelievable in that. Yeah. He's that that one scene that you're talking about, it's an entire short film on this guy's face. Just unbroken, yeah. zooms in and then tears start falling. He doesn't even like move a muscle in his face. He's just in such shock and then tears start falling. Oh my god. <laughs> so good. God damn, that's a good scene. <laughs> what an actor, man. <laughs> yeah, but this one it's like yeah, Jody Judy Judy Foster, Judy Foster. wants uh <laughs> god damn it, Judy Foster. <laughs> wants 15% and she wants artistic control and uh, Hopkins is like, I'll make like three more Hannibals. See, here. like if she was in the movie, it would have been we're making a sequel to Silence of the Lambs, not we're making a book adaptation. I almost do think though, like recasting 
Jodie Foster is almost as bad as recasting Anthony Hopkins. It actually yeah. might be worse. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I do think both of those characters are just as indelible, you know, but I get <laughs> no, I agree. But I, I and that that leads to part another issue I have with Julianne Moore, where, where it's like, honestly, if this movie ended with him killing her, I, I don't think I would have cared. Yeah. But for the first time seeing it, I don't think I would have cared that much. Right. Because I don't respond to Julianne Moore in this role whatsoever. And it's also important to note, I just think the actual coda of this movie is a complete wet blanket. In like, a lot oh. of ways, I was more I like concerned the shot about of the boat. Well, I was more concerned about the repercussions of Hannibal losing his hand than I was about her losing her hand. I didn't <laughs> yeah. care. I didn't care when he when he was about to cut her hand off. I'm like, all right. And then we cut his own hand off. I was like, oh no. Yeah, because you, you, <laughs> you, you know you do you do. How's he gonna cut people up? How's he gonna? <laughs> you do find it eat them. <laughs> How's he gonna hold his fork and knife? He can't. <laughs> How's he gonna set the table? Right. <laughs> So I don't know, man. Because <laughs> I will say like that, that part where he's about to cut off his hand and there's that tiny moment of hesitation. Like the first time we've ever seen that type of hesitation in this character ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Right. And you see like you could just see the tear coming down his face. You almost miss it. And then he just does it. It's yeah, it's a little sad. It's a little sad. And, and, and when you can reflect on it. Yeah. I. But that's it. Easily, the, easily the best part of the movie. But it yes, took two I, hours to get there. Yeah, the five minutes of, the, of this <laughs> right, movie. I mean, that, it's it, it's because it's not even the whole third act. <laughs> it's, it's no, the, it's like it's a third of the third act. Yeah, because part of it is is fu- fucking Gary Oldman. Did we talk about Gary Oldman? Uh, okay, not yeah. nearly so, enough. Gary Oldman. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, the Gary Oldman's in this movie. By the way, Gary Oldman behind a. Thick by the way, slow horses. Of, go watch. Uh, oh yeah, I've heard. Slow horses uh, renewed through season four. Nick, <laughs> they're just fucking pumping out this show. Damn, oh my god, I gotta see the slow horses. <laughs> it's so great. I just love like Barry is like there's they do eight episodes every five years and Slow Horses just has like three seasons in the can. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, but uh, Gary Oldman at first like he wanted to do the movie, but he wanted like prominent billing. He wanted to be like over the title with Hopkins and Julianne Moore, and they were like, "Nah, you." we're not giving you that high a billing and so he got mad and dropped out of the project then he ends up coming back with no billing so now he's not even in the credits of the movie uh and he is behind uh yeah a a a a face mask that makes him completely unrecognizable he's playing mason verger uh a pedophile former patient of hannibal uh who uh in his past was drugged by Hannibal and talked into cutting off his own face. Mm. And Mason Verger has made it his life's mission now to get revenge on Hannibal for doing this to him. And like, I get that Mason Verger is a pedophile and everything, but I don't know, kind of justified in his pursuit of of murdering the serial killer. Sure. Who's disemboweling people in Italy. Like, I know the movie sort of sets it up as he's the bad guy, which clearly he's not a good guy, but... You know, <laughs> no, but this is honest to God. It's another problem with the movie because right. you're you're not quite uh, you're not with him or totally against him either. You're just kind of, again, you're in that weird gray area where yeah, you're what like, what am I rooting eh? for? Well, here? there's this, eh? this is one of those this is one of those situations <laughs> where there is no one to root for. Yeah, and the only person you can root for is the cannibalistic serial killer. <laughs> yes. So, like, yeah, that's that's an issue. You basically hate everybody in the movie. <laughs> 
But I like Hannibal. It's like yeah, they I set like, you up and I it's like, like oh, who's the main character in the movie? Oh, he's a pedophile rapist. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, love that. Great. But, but like, this, no. is, this is why it works better in Silence and in Red Dragon and in Manhunter, whatever. It, the Like, Hannibal as the sort of mentor figure who's kind of a villain but not quite a villain. I, well, because he can do no harm behind bars. You're allowed to like him. You're allowed yeah. to like him. But but you you need a palate cleanser. You need a palate cleanser. You need a Clarice Starling because even in this, she's not quite Clarice Starling. She's a little fucked up. Sure. And you need a you need a Will Graham who's kind of in and out. And part of the interesting thing about that character is that he's a normal guy that he's basically Hannibal. That but could if he had a badge. Yeah, exactly. He's Hannibal with yeah. well, it's could snap it's on also, the right. It's, dead. it's yeah. why you can like Ed Kemper in Mindhunter. Sure. Yeah. Because again, he's behind bars and he can do no harm. And he works and, very well when he's talking to Bill and and and, and you have the other two guys yeah. who they go back and forth between which one do you like or think is the dick, sure. you know. But right. uh, God, that show's so fucking good. <laughs> God damn it! Yeah, I'm still mad at Fincher. I'm still seriously, mad at him. he's yeah. he's making Love, Death, and Robots instead yeah. of fucking Mindhunter. <laughs> like, he's ma- I think he's making an another. I don't know if it's another serial killer movie coming out this <sighs> year. Finish the yeah, show. There's, yeah. there's some talk about what that's going to be. Yeah. They need to finish Mindhunter. I we need yeah. a petition. How so be- so Mason Verger. They they open the movie with it too. It's the cold open, and it felt like one of those openings that was inserted after the movie didn't test well with audiences. Like it felt like there was something else there that they sort of put in because there's really bad ADR mm-hmm. with Gary Oldman. Like his voice clearly doesn't match his mouth in mm-hmm. the way that like. Spider-Man's voice doesn't match his mouth and um that I found distracting. Yes. And yeah, I I I won't defend the Mason Verger of it all, guys. I'm not here to defend Gary Oldman in this movie. Yeah. Did you find it super abrupt when the guy decided, "Wow, I'm going to push him in?" That was also very strange. I'm like, "What? What?" <laughs> Wait, well, what? Well, I think like here's the thing too is like that moment was a moment that could have been something. Like you could see like how like there is evil in all of us and it's mm-hmm. like it's it all it takes is just like the right moment or the right conditions for someone to you know resort to the same evil yes. uh, and then you can even juxtapose that with the the incorruptibility of Clarice like there is a there there but sure. it is executed so horribly <laughs> that's an example of, yeah. a, of a of something they couldn't properly translate from the book because again margot was supposed to kill him in the book and there's a lot more history there and they try to communicate that trauma and that history through very few conversations yeah and this it's just yeah. a mean boss right it's yeah like, exactly. would you murder your mean boss if you could blame it on someone else like there, totally and there's only two scenes that's a comedy movie that, called right? horrible bosses that's a comedy that's yes. not a serious film right <laughs> Yeah, what the hell is this movie, guys? <laughs> I, I, I need help with this one. Um, I had a bunch of notes on this. I had so God, many fucking who notes. Cares? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> no, I mean, there's there, this. I, I think the whole point and the part that maybe you're stuck on to Nico a bit is the fact that there are a lot of themes and uh, elements to this story. That really could be saying something. There's a lot of good ideas here, Mm -hmm. but the 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 execution is wrong for so many reasons. And it really goes back to the very earliest stages of filmmaking of the filmmaking process. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, And and, I mean, those problems, you see them through and through from the beginning to the end. Yes. So I like what am I revisit? What would I revisit this film for is a good question. You know, that's something to compare it to the Hannibal series. Yes. 
to compare That's about to, it. Even with, with Manhunter, you know. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of stuff in Manhunter I'd want to revisit. Certainly Red Dragon I'd want to revisit. Like, this is just, what do I get out of it? You know, if I'm not moved by it, what else do I get out of it? What can I look, what can I read into? And I don't see anything. Um, I did like some of, like, the, the lines that were clearly written by Mamet. There were a couple. There was like some cop jargon at the beginning where it's like, oh yeah, that feels like. I love some good cop else. jargon. Do we want to talk about Ray Liotta being a total douchebag? Okay, so I, once again, <laughs> this movie uses a, a, a jackhammer when it can just use a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, in that original movie, they convey the sexism that Jodie Foster uh, has to reckon with, with subtlety and nuance. Now, there is a man that throws jizz on her face, but beyond that, like and, I call that subtlety. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> but they do that with like mostly with I would say uh uh Jonathan Demi and Tech Fujimoto's uh, cinematography with those yes. be- un- like some of the best single face close-ups that are just the most judging things you've ever seen pointed against Clarissa. It's just so brilliant there's nothing wrong with those decisions and again you know exactly what the movie's doing even if you're not articulating it in your mind immediately you just instantly feel uncomfortable that these men are always on her the the elevator sequence totally another great moment well everything with childress yes 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 it's great stuff um this movie decides we're just gonna make every male character a, a frat guy (laughs) <laughs> Which is going to make every, with the exception of Hannibal, every male that you see on screen uh, spends their days doodling pictures of naked women. And like Ray Liotta's character is the most blatant example of the sexism. There's a scene where he walks in uh, to, to, like, to, to Clary's listening to Hannibal's recordings. And like he he sees a doodle of a woman with boobs and he like lifts it up just to be like, huh boobs <laughs> <laughs> yep well he also just explicitly like says that he just like he's like basically like i would fuck you but nothing else like you're useless otherwise like he explicitly says that like i don't know how much more obvious you can get right it's not it's not threatening or compelling in any way it's just mm. it's just like it's the type of thing where everybody's just like yeah fuck that dude yeah like what obviously with he's- leota I don't. I don't want to turn this into a whole chat about his career, but like, should it, is it the be? Why we're Isn't that kind of why we're here? <laughs> that is why we're here. <laughs> kind of is why we're here. Well, he peaked at the B movie, didn't he? Definitely did. Yeah, it's hard, movie, hard to top the B movie. Yeah, he has such warmth in Goodfellas that it yeah. is really never used again after that. Well, he's kind of like in Goodfellas, which I'll be honest with you, I've seen significantly less times than either of you. Yeah, uh, certainly true. Yeah, but. You I know, just made it 109 times after this past weekend. Yeah. Only 109 times? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I've seen it maybe one one and a half, I think. Um, <laughs> Gave up halfway through the second viewing. <laughs> but like, you know, Ray I really Liotta, don't think this Lufthansa heist is going to work out. <laughs> you know, the Lufthansa heist is a little over. Like, you I'm say out. he's like a, like a, like a, like a soft and warm character in that movie, but like everyone else in that movie is a cactus and he's like a fucking, uh, He's like a wire brush. Like, yeah, he's soft compared to a cactus. Like, they're totally. meant to be abrasive people. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? I don't know if he's ever been, like, like warm and welcoming and helpful in any other movie. Yeah. I, like, I, I think it's just, I think it's just based on, like, the the setting of that movie. He is. Yes. But. So, so I had, um, 
I or I have a relative that took um, acting classes in L.A. in the mid '80s, and uh, it just you know if you watch Barry, what you know is that most of these people are <laughs> hacks, and, <laughs> and they're really toxic workspaces. These improv and acting classes, but. <laughs> Uh, there were two people that this relative came into contact with that everyone in the class agreed was going to be big someday. And the first guy was Andy Garcia and the second guy was Ray Liotta. Um, and it, it's, it just really goes to show like you can be we, we talk about this a lot. Like you can be the best baseball player in your high school and do and never pick up a bat for the rest of your life. And like these two guys were clearly obviously movie stars that were going to be huge one day and both of them did a couple mob movies in the 90s They're, they know everybody and had have had nice careers afterwards but like all of that shit that you see in an acting class like hollywood just never repays back to you no, and no. like it's kind of weird like he never quite topped henry hill ray liotta he never quite got there I tweeted recently, like he was really good in Marriage Story, like, and he's really good in Copland, and he's like, he has some nice like supporting performances in those movies, but you really only have one of those, and then you're playing sleazebag cops for the rest of your career, basically, yeah, you know, yeah. I think I say you're lucky if you have one of those in most cases. Totally, sure. So, yeah. by the way, where can people find your tweets, Nico? Huh, man, you don't know how to plug. <laughs> you gotta work on your plug uh, skills people can find it if they want to find it mm-hmm. not really, you, gotta, you gotta work on it man not really advertising my tweets not anymore I'd prefer that people just didn't read them actually <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather you not read them <laughs> oh god alright don't find Nico's Twitter <laughs> at. at funny Nico tweets don't read them though it's mostly just me yelling about the Knicks so there's no, there's, <laughs> or the Jets, yes, whatever, whatever team of the week. You no haven't real. said any incriminating stuff about the Knicks, have you? Uh, stuff that could ruin your career with the Knicks. I mean, I'm not getting hired to that front office anytime soon. Well, you, you've invested in the Knicks, so there you go. You're not going to run for Congress in New York, so no, no. <laughs> I, Anyway, uh, what else did I have here? <laughs> Jesus, this mic. Also, it's really fucking hot in here. I'm Ooh. sweating. Yeah, man. I'm not yeah. even in the same room as you. Yeah. It's so hot. I don't um, sweat. I'm good. What else did I? You don't sweat? I don't sweat. Because you're all muscle? Muscle doesn't Because he's a lizard. No. That's right. I'm a lizard person. <laughs> That's more what it yeah, is. cold blooded. He just fucking sits under a rock all day. That's right. <laughs> just... Or an on a rock, not under a rock. Sorry. Uh, Hopkins is too fat in this. We talked about that already. Uh, <laughs> Did we talk about how he's too fat? He's too fat. Well, the reason it doesn't work when he's being like an action star. I guess he's so, like yeah. a fat old guy. But we never stopped and said the reason for that is because he's fat. I'd like to point out, but I'm very distracted because Nick has his cat in his lap and it's Yeah, my adorable. cat decided yeah. that uh, it, he needs to be in my lap right now. That's a good boy. I don't really get a say in the in how these things work. It's very weird to see a cat so affectionate. I love it. I love it. Nick, can I pet your pussy? Yeah, go for it. Oh. You, you don't know the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he knew. He's just welcoming it. He's like, yeah, go right ahead. No, Zaza Gabor was on The Tonight Show like in the 70s or 60s, and she had a cap on her lap, and uh, she, she said... Uh, 
hey, Johnny, do you want to pet my pussy? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, you would just remove that damn cat. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Whoa. I was queuing you up, but a, a oh. little too much of a deep cut, I think. Oh, I've, times have changed. You can't say that today, Nico. No, you can't. No, That's how we can't get canceled. Say it. No, can't say it. Oh, they repeat the Better Call Saul shot, or I should say, Better Call Saul. Oh, I just know. aped this shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Little I, did we know this was Ridley's idea. Yeah, I, I noticed that immediately. The shot of Hannibal at Union Station uh, peeking around the corner and half of his face reflecting on the wall. Yep. Sort of creating a mirror image. That was that that shot was in Better Call Saul, and I keep giving Better Call Saul all this credit for coming up with that. Yeah, Turns Rid- out, no, Ridley did it first. Yep. I thought the same thing. Exactly. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Big deal. That's in there. You know what, though? Like, that honestly speaks more to uh, Vince Gilligan at all, who uh, make Saul, because they know how to pick out good shots, even from bad movies. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's all. Hans Zimmer scored this, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally forgot. He said, I can score this movie truly as a Freudian archetypal beauty in the beast fairy tale. Oh, shut up. As the most elegant piece on corruption in the American police force. (laughs) As the loneliest woman on earth, the beauty in Renaissance. Oh, Hans. Hans. Hans There's so much talent associated with this movie. I know. That's crazy. So weird. Uh, And the brain scene, uh, it's become a meme at this point. It's it's the iconic uh, shot from the movie of Ray Liotta being fed his own brain Mm -hmm. by Hannibal. Uh, Apparently, uh, a $70,000 animatronic dummy of Ray Liotta was created for that scene. So Liotta was kind of offset just watching the dummy. Hold on. Is that like still out there? Is what's still out where? The dummy. What did they do with it? Like, oh, um, like I gotta know. You looking to buy it? (laughs) Maybe (laughs) there are worse things to buy. Gonna have him on the podcast, Ray Liotta brain dummy. (laughs) Brain dummy. There apparently were a lot of puppets used in that, and then I'm going to shopping on Google. (laughs) (laughs) They're actually readily available, just showed up on Facebook Marketplace. (laughs) You can buy it off of Amazon. Perfect replicas. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Do you like that scene? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so some of the editing with like the the stupid you know delirious fades. Oh my god, look there at it! This. Is. It was on an auction website. Holy shit! It was on an auction website. That's His fucking head. weird. Just the just the head part, and you could see the little wire coming out of the bottom that like moved its mouth around and shit. Wow. Ugh. It's, I guess I guess the whole brain thing, that's a good moment. I like make offer to owner thirty six hundred dollars or more. That's a fucking steal. <sighs> I'd do that. Can make it into an NFT. <laughs> Holy shit, man. <laughs> Why is your go to always make it into an NFT? That's that's Are that's they the doing thing that to do well with your money. You? That's no. what you gotta do with your money nowadays. <laughs> Certainly not. All right. Anything else about Hannibal? Uh, no. Okay. No. Let's play a game. <laughs> How many Drew Carey? Who are we doing? I think we gotta do Leota. Leota? Okay. Yeah. All right. Not sure we'll ever get another chance. 
Hmm. Ray Liotta. Have we done Liotta? I doubt it. I don't. Ray. I don't think so. All right. I can't think of anything that we would have done for him, but I don't think so. All no, right. we haven't done the B movie yet. No. Yet. Yeah. Maybe. Give it. Time. Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've been lobbying for it. I've been lobbying for it behind the scenes. I definitely want to do B movie. I watched a movie uh, uh, last week that I thought I we would add to this pod at some point, but then I saw it and I'm like, hmm, maybe not. But maybe, I don't know. It's called Butt Boy. <laughs> I mean, sold? Uh, do you want to know what the premise is? I think I get the point. Uh, favorite uh, movie that of John Waters, uh, 2019. So that's what tipped me off to it. Okay. Um, I don't want to tell you what it's about. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, Butt I guess, Boy. I guess we could watch it at some point. <laughs> yeah. It was weird. Okay. It was weird. I don't recommend it, but <laughs> but maybe for this pod. I do love that John Waters keeps doing top tens. It's great. Yeah. I love it. It's very helpful, he actually. He keeps doing those this fucking lists. So nuts. <laughs> <laughs> now, the best is, yeah, it'll be like Solo in the five, 500 Days of Sodom. And, <laughs> you know, just filth like butt boy. And then like, <laughs> you know. The intern, <laughs> like yeah, something the intern. innocuous, will be in the middle. He's such a freak. <laughs> oh god! All right, Ray Liotta. Uh, I'll say ten million. I was gonna say ten million. I think that's about right. I mean, he was doing Shades of Blue with Jennifer Lopez on NBC just a few years before his death. I'm not sure he was getting a lot of work. Liotta, ten million. All 10 right. Mil. Uh, who wants to go next? I can if you want me to. You go next, Nick. All right, nineteen point five million. Oh, okay. Nineteen point five, eh? Oh, that uh, the net worth of Drew Carey is what we're. Okay. Yeah, one hundred ninety million is Drew Carey. Uh, All right. Well, uh, I'm gonna go (laughs) ten million and one dollar. Wow. So just a smidge above Nico. Wow. <laughs> Happy National Kill a Podcaster Day, guys. <laughs> the actual net worth, Ray Liotta, $14 million. Ooh, uh, I think Adam just eked us out on that one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you hate to see it. I beat you in actorly too today, or actoral, however you pronounce it. I think we tied. No. Well, did. Oh wait. No. 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 We we tied in that one. I beat you in the box office one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We we Adam and I do a lot of uh, Wordle style movie games every day, and we yeah we text our scores back and forth. And it's a big mistake on your part. It's become a big mistake. Major dick measuring contest, <laughs> I, and let's just say I'm coming up a bit short. <laughs> Always, by the way. Always coming up a little short. <laughs> yeah, you're reminding me that I uh, I haven't played Framed yet today. Although I did just get it on the first guess. You did? Yes. You did. Which movie did you get on the first guess? Uh, today was Big Hero 6. Ah, yeah. we all got it yeah, on the first did. one. Wow. All right. Well, it's so clearly San Fran Tokyo. To- <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the fuck that city's called. I was so sure Nico wasn't going to get it. I was like, no way. But he did. I was, I was very another surprised. movie I watched on a plane, boys. That's a good movie. I it like that a good movie. movie a lot. Yeah. Love you. Next week, who knows what we're doing. Mm.
Adam is busy again, so that's right. He'll probably be late. Yeah. You want to do the cabinet of Dr. Caligari? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That's you want to do that? Choice. Uh, maybe. Maybe we could just get into some German expressionism. That might be a not? nice turn for us. I thought we were eventually going to do M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. I'm down you for know, that whenever you are ready. But I do want you to watch at least a couple episodes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's that's so, a big ask. So well, you're a very a few, busy I don't even man. I need to do the whole season. Just do a few. I know you're you're organizing bake sales and shit these days. You're, you're a busy man. It's tough. Tough baking out there. My delicious chocolate chip cookies. They're going to be so good. <laughs> All right. That's it. Love you. Until next time. You've been so very, very naughty. Naughty.